As you are seated, I just thank God for this time of joy. And we're in a series called Remember. And what we've thought, wanted to do is actually take a look at some things and lessons we've learned and, and kind of go back to them. And so that's what we're doing. We're going back to a lesson we learned a while ago. In fact, how many of you um, have you know, seen these little bracelets that you wear? And, and you, you know there's a yellow one. What's, it, what's the yellow one mean? Anybody know? It's like one of the first ones. Live strong, right? And then there's a blue one that came out, which was really, I was fond of. Anybody remember the blue one? It, it was from the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> and it said, and it said it's, you got to believe. And I wore that for a long time, and guess what? Yeah. It happened. Um, so that was kind of cool. Well, there's this green one. Anybody remember this green one? This was a really popular one a few years back, given out by a church named Wyzetta Free. <laughs> It was back in 2012, it was Christmas time, and it was a series on joy, and we got these little bracelets. Anybody wearing one? Got one, two, anybody else? We had a, there's another one. We got people, in fact, Garfield told me that his broke, and he was just like crushed. And you got another one, right? Yeah, so we, I don't think we have hardly any of those left. So it just reads something very simple that we wanted to help people imprint in their heart. It says, be joyful, pray continually, give thanks. And uh, we were thinking about doing bracelets again. We decided that we um, couldn't afford the bracelets. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what, what we did in line more with what the message is, if you take those little kind of envelopes in the roll there, you'll see and open them, and in there is a string, because we're in a series called Remember, and the whole idea is that on your finger you tie a string. Anybody ever done that, tie something on your finger? Or you're more the kind of person who write on your hand, you know what I mean? Like all these notes and stuff. But that's, that's sometimes, you know, I'll do that at times. I'll go, okay, and I'll, I'll kind of try and mark something I'm remembering on each finger in my mind. Well, we're going to ask you to take this string and in a real sense try and, uh, and tie it, like we've been saying, tie this truth on your finger as a way to remember. And, and, and the truth is going to be simple because my, my prayer is that we will be, this will be a real audience participation message, okay? So you need to kind of, just like we've been singing this stuff, I need your help. So I'm going to ask you to stand, okay? I, and I need you to stand just to get the blood flowing in your system again. But I want you to repeat this after me because my hope is that if we do this enough in this message, there's a couple things I'm hoping will happen. You will have memorized three verses, And when we get done, you may have a few practical tips that will help you on this message on joy. And so let's say this together. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You actually had 16, 17, and 18. So you're going to memorize three verses. Let's say it again, but this time you were a little weak. I need your participation. Okay, ready? Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Please stand. Father, I ask that as we come together, and I recognize for some people, uh, or there probably is kind of this real sense of joy in what's going on in my life right now. And I know for some it may be difficult. But God, I pray that there would come a joy, not so much a happiness and emotion, but a confident understanding that leads to a sense where they can, even in the midst of difficulty, have this inner quality of joy because they know you. 
for all of us, God. For some who are feeling joy because things have been going well or because of news we've heard. May we learn together, God, to know this joy that is deep within us, built into our very character. We pray these things and ask that your spirit be released here in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So, <clears throat> one of the things that's interesting, if you do some science, you read about some of the scientific studies on this, there's a book that came out called The Happiness Hypothesis by a man named Jonathan Haidt, and he's just culling together other research, and there's a number of people who have done this. But current research kind of says, as they've studied this, that, that most people have like they call a joy set point. Okay, you know, like on a thermostat, you set it and it kind of controls the, the atmosphere of the place that you're in, the room, the temperature, and stuff like that. Current research is kind of saying that most people have a joy set point. And some people run on a higher set point than others. So there's some people who run somewhere between 70 and 80, and, and their joy, you know, they're, they're just the kind of people you just see them and, and they're just joyful. They wake up in the morning and you kind of go, nah, you know what I mean? They're the, they're the kind of people, if you take a strength finder's test, they usually come out on positivity. And, and it's kind of about who they are a little bit. But then there's another research that said there are people who kind of are on the cooler side of things. They're more like a 50 or 60. They don't see necessarily everything so joyful, and they don't express it in such ways, in such positive ways. They're much more prone to be kind of just at that more cooler level of, you know, there's just a little bit more negativity and different things like that. And what they've said is that you can do things that actually raise the quotient of your joy, but probably only about 10 degrees. So if you're 50 or 60, you know, if, you get up to, if you're get up, 50, you get 60, you're doing really well. If you're 80, you want to go 90, you might just burn up. I don't know. But what I want us to think about is for a second, we, we are constantly talking about a culture we're trying to create here, kind of an environment we're trying to create. Which, which talks about the fact that everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and what do we say? Anything's possible. And my prayer is that with the Spirit of God, it may be possible if you take some of these practical tips that we're going to be talking about and some of the truths that we're going to talk about, that God may, if you actually apply yourself, not because you hear a message or you were kind of moved a little bit emotionally by something that was said, but because you actually begin to build this in your life, you might be able to move your joy set point, not just 10 degrees, but maybe 20. Maybe anything's possible. It could even move up 25. But it's not going to be one of these things that happens overnight. Because really, joy is built into our character. And so we're going to talk about what does that look like and, and what does that mean, especially when we think about the culture that we're living in today. Because you look at our culture, you watch the news, you talk to people at the water cooler, if they still do talk at water coolers, I don't know. You're in school with friends or whatever it may be, some social club, and we live in what I call a culture that has a high-pressure system of fear, anxiety, and anger. Right? Externally, what's coming at us, which creates, in a sense, really can rob our joy, is this high-pressure system. And even though we have all kinds of good things around us, we really fail to enjoy them because people are so quick to complain, they're quick to find fault, they're quick to go south and negative, and they're quick to not express joy. 
There was a uh, comedian, he was on a late night TV show a few years back, um, and I happened to turn on the interview. I usually am falling asleep by that time, but for some reason I, I, I turned it on, and, and what he had to say caught my attention is he's a comedian um, and theologian, Louis C.K. Yeah, he's not a theologian, and, and the only place you really ever want to watch him is on, on a late night TV show because it's probably the only place where it's PG. But anyway, I'm listening to him, and I was captivated by what he had to say. Louis C.K. pointed out how epidemic this culture of complaining had become. And this was just a few years ago. And he turned to the host at one point, point. he looked at the host and he said, this world is crazy. We live in, in, a, in, in history with the greatest advantages through technology and yet hardly anyone's happy. Everything's amazing and nobody's happy. And then he looked at the audience, and he just looked at everybody, and he said, I'm sitting on a plane, and the guy next to me is ticked off, and he's angry because the internet isn't working. The guy goes, I can't believe it. This is a piece of junk. And he he goes, like, how quickly the world owes him something that only existed 10 seconds ago. And he continues, think about airplanes. Flying is the worst. People, you know, they'll return from a trip, and... And they'll just tell you horror stories. You ever had that? They come back from a trip to tell you horror stories. They go, first of all, uh, we got to the plane and we had to wait a half hour at the gate because the plane was late from its inbound flight. And, and then we get on the plane and we had to wait for 40 minutes on the tarmac while they de-iced the wings. And then, and then we get there and we have to circle for 20 minutes. We're circling before we can land. It was horrible. And then he says, then you really think about it. Just how amazing this thing called flying is. You have participated in the modern miracle of flight. And you're complaining. Imagine telling your great-great-grandfather that you were flying. And and, and just think of his response. His response is, do you mean you flew in the air like a bird? You you mean you were actually sitting in a two-ton metal contraption some 40,000 feet in the air going 500 miles per hour? I mean, he'd be amazed. And then he, then he blurts out to the audience, he says, on every plane, every day, people fly. They should be going. Oh, my word, I'm flying. I'm, I'm actually doing what birds do. This is amazing. Think about it. You are sitting in the chair, on a chair in the sky. And yet we complain. My chair doesn't go back far enough. My little table's a little bit crooked. You know, you ever, you ever complain that the guy next to you is just taking the whole armrest? You can't put your arm there to kind of read the book. Or maybe you want to read or whatever you're going to do. And, and, and then he makes this point, point. I think it's wonderful. He says, it takes five hours to fly from New York to L.A. Five hours. And only a little over 100 years ago, just 100 years ago, think about this. It took wagon trains journeying 12 miles per day at an average speed of 3.5 miles per hour, people would die along the way, babies would be born. And by the time you got there, there would be a whole new group of people with you. And then he says, today it's a movie, a Coke, and peanuts, and a trip to the bathroom, and you're there. Honestly. And he concludes, and this line, just this is what hit me. We live in this amazing, amazing world, and it's wasted on the most spoiled, ungrateful, unhappy generation of people this earth has produced. That's why I call him theologian. 
Robert Studley Forrest Hughes. And I love the middle name. Isn't that kind of cool? It's really cool because he has two middle names. It's really, you know, how many people get two middle names? But Robert Studley Forrest Hughes. Can you imagine introducing yourself at a party? Yeah, my name's uh, Robert Studley Forrest Hughes. Anyway, um, I, I thought about it. Anyway, he, he's an older guy who's actually passed away now. He wrote a bestseller a number of years, probably about five, six years ago, called The Culture of Complaint, The Fraying of America. And he's looking from the outside in. He's not an American, but he writes to America. And he says, because he, he's traveled so much and he lived so much of his life in America and other places. He, he says, America Day today conjures up images of Rome in the final stages of cultural and political decay. As ambition and, and ingenuity are left behind, what remains is a sickly culture of complaint. A culture that overdoses on victimization, self-pity, polarization, and politicization. Think about that. That was written before all the stuff that we're experiencing right now. And then in his introduction, he, 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 Studley Hughes writes, I hope the reader will not misconstrue this as an anti-Americanism or as some kind of unearned um, condescension of a foreigner. Next to Australia, which was where he's from, America is the place I know and love best. And Hughes, as he approached this later point in his, in his years, was looking at the landscape of our own culture, and he was just going, it's just gone so negative. And, and so one of the reasons that I want your attention on this subject, and we want to go back and remember joy, is because God is full of joy, And of all people, we should be people of joy. I mean, I just did a funeral yesterday, and I I looked out, and it's painful, obviously. but, But not only do we have this life where we can know this God, but we can live in this life, and we're assured of the fact that there's more to life to come. And honestly, when you think about our life in the world around us, the greatest influence you may have is not trying to try and convince someone about Jesus. It's just to convince them that you love this Jesus, and he loves you, and you have joy. And imagine the difference that could take place in people's hearts and lives. So I'm going to just say, like a string, you know, this truth, um, like a string, tie it around your finger and remember, let's say it together. Be joy- Come on, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, these verses, uh, three of them, short as can be, come from the very end of a, a letter that Paul wrote to a city and it's called Thessalonica. It's in Greece today. It's the modern city called Salonica. And, and when Paul was going there, he, he had come through Asia Minor, and then he had this vision and to come over to, um, to Greece and to come to Macedonia. And, and, and he went through Philippi, and he came to this city, Thessalonica. But what's interesting is when he came to this city, the people there, many of them, because you go to synagogues, they received this message that he brought with great joy. God did powerful things. But within days, there were a whole lot of people um, who turned against him, and they actually drove him out of town. And he spent the next couple weeks um, running away, going all the way down to Athens and to Corinth, and it was probably one of the lower points in his life. In fact, I think when he got done with Athens, after he had been a, a place he wanted to be, and there were so little converts, I think he was in this low point. But he was also writing to a people who were experiencing incredible high-pressure systems of fear and anxiety. 
And he says at the very end of it, here's what I want you, I want you to remember, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so he makes a very important point to us here. He wants us in the same way, no matter what is going on in our life, to say these words. Let's say them together. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So how do you increase your joy? We're going to go through each of these verses one at a time. The first one is be joyful always. And and here's the key on this one. Be joyful always. Choose joy throughout your day, all day, no matter what's going on. Make a determination to choose joy. What I want you to notice about this phrase, it's a command. It's not a a suggestion. I'm suggesting to you a good thing. He's not saying that. He's saying here is a command that if you are a follower of Jesus, it requires obedience. It requires that in your day, you will choose joy. There's a man named Paul Turnier, and he was a great Christian author, psychiatrist, and he wrote these few words. Perhaps the most powerful and unused gift from God is choice. Notice he writes the gift of choice, and perhaps the most powerful gift, he says, because our wills, we are made in the image of God. And when we talked about this on the gospel, we are all little kingdoms. Jesus came and brought the kingdom of God and said, if you want to take your kingdom, which is where you say and what you say goes, you can join it with God's. And he's basically saying this little kingdom, not only is it the most powerful gift to choose, but it's also one of the most unused gifts. How often, you think about it, how often, as you think about the high-pressure system of people around your circumstances, things going on, how often do your feelings rule you than your choice to say, I'm going to decide to be joyful? How often do your circumstances control you? How often, and, and this is when I you know, think about what Louis C.K. said or, 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 or Hughes, how often does ingratitude run rampant through your own heart? I mean, really, think about it. Ingratitude is is one of these kind of real catchy kind of things. It's rather infectious. And Paul's command is not a a suggestion, but he says you have a choice in how you respond throughout your day to your circumstances. And he says, choose, be joyful. Always. Always. Not sometimes or when you feel like it or when things are going your way, but always. I am... was thinking about this, and, and as I was writing this, I was thinking about one of the practices that I started to do this year, um, and I, I call it, I, I got another notebook. So you know I journal, so I, I went and got another notebook, because I've been kind of fascinated by um, Alcoholics Anonymous, and AA, and, 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 and Wilson, um, Bill Wilson, who was the founder of it, who was a, a believer, a Christian, and he really was just applying some Christian steps to helping people who were locked into a kind of external thing that had caused them to be addicted. And so um, I started uh, kind of reading some of the stuff, and, there, and, and some of the steps I thought, well, you know, this year I'm going to try and really understand each of these steps, and myself just, you know, someone said, well, you're not an alcoholic. I said, no, I'm not, but I'm a self-aholic. Um, I have sin, and I really want to change. And so I started reading, there's a thing called the big book, and then there's another book called Courage to Change. There's a number of books called Courage to Change, but there's one of them specifically that has a compilation of Bill Wilson's messages, sermons he actually preached, and they're pretty powerful. 
But in the big book, there's a step. It's called step 11. And, and in it, there's this recommendation. It is to pray and to meditate both when you retire at night and you awaken in the morning. So in a sense, you review your day and the next day in the morning, you preview it. And Wilson writes this, we shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. And I think it's interesting because he's talking to some pretty hardened people. These are guys, especially guys at this point because this is who they were working with, who had gone through some real tough life. And he goes, we shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer, you know, because yeah, we, we don't pray. Anyway, he goes, better men than we are are using it constantly and it works. I thought, well, that, that's interesting. He writes this to these guys. This is in the big book. And he suggests this. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid? Do we owe an apology? What could have we done better? And he continues with self-evaluation. And one of the things that I've been doing is saying, was I joyful? Where did I lose my joy? Where did I need to go back and find it? And so I kind of review that. It's been, it's been kind of interesting. But then he also says this on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. One of the reasons this works is so intentional. Let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking our thinking to be divorced from self-pity, dishonesty, and self-seeking motives. Think about trying to do that through the day. So I, I've been kind of doing that, and I kind of go through the day, and I look at the appointments I have, and I go, okay, what could be some of the things? Here's how I want to present. Here's how I want to be intentional in this, and, and I want to be, this could cause some loss of joy. I want I've been trying to do that in my life, and it's been amazing to me that when I go to bed at nights and I review these things, there's been times where, as I've been reviewing what's going on or what's happened today, I, I, I've had this happen on a couple occasions where I go, you know what, I've got I to gotta stop right now and forgive this person. There's an occasion, one time where, I, not too long ago, I just called a person up and said, you know, i got to share with you, I, I'm really sorry, and, and kind of had to get things right. There are times when I will go, you know, I need to tomorrow, one of the first things I do on my list is, is to make an appointment and to be with this person. I, I bring this up because there are some practices, if you are intentional, that you can move your joy quotient. And so I'm going to share with you a couple of practical tips. One of the things you can do is begin. If you want to kind of do a preview of your day, before your feet hit the floor, you get out of bed. Here's something I'm going to encourage you to do. Look up to God and say um, this little statement of joy. Psalm 118, verse 24. What I call is start the day with a joy reminder. Before you begin anything, just say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, you know what, let's say it together. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's really interesting because you can be kind of creative about this. You know, I'll get up and I'll kind of go, today, God? I'll, I mean, I'm kind of weird. So, I, you know, today, God, I'll walk in my office and I'm at home. Today, God, this is your day. You made it. I'm so excited because you're a creative God. And I'm going to, right now, just be full of joy. I'm going to rejoice and and I'm going to be glad in all the things that happened today, good or bad. So as I look at my 24 hours, here's what I'm going to do. And at the end of the day, I'm going to look back and review it and say, how did it go? So that's one thing you can do. If you really want to begin to practice something that can really raise your joy quotient, that's one thing you can do. Just begin your day with a joy reminder. Here's the second thing you can do. This is really practical. And that is what I would call recruit a joy partner. 
Because it is so easy for us to complain or to go negative and south with the things we're thinking. Anybody ever had that experience, you know, and you don't even realize you're complaining? So when you recruit a joy partner, and I made a mistake by recruiting my wife. She was here in her first service, and she's really good at pointing out, you know, like complaining, and she'll go like, now, do I hear a, a, a sense of complaining here? And I'll, and I'll go, no, no, because I'm really good at kind of rationalizing back. I go, no, no, I'm just stating the fact of the circumstances. Anybody ever done that? And she looks at me like, you know, like, I'm going to give up if you don't want to be a partner in this thing, you know? You can find people to be joy partners. You could actually pepper your life, if you want to say this, with joy. I say pepper, not salt, because salt might be too much. But, you know, pepper your life with a few who will, at times, whether you're at work or with your kids, whatever, and just say, you know, if you see me complaining, you hear me going negative, you hear this, just call it out. Because be joyful always is a choice. So let's say this together, because I want you to remember this through the week. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So pray continually. He says, be joyful always. That means choose joy. Well, pray continually, which, which is this idea that you're confident that God's in control and he's at work because he loves you. So you choose joy, and, and, and the idea of praying continually means that you are going to kind of open your day and your heart up to the fact that there is a God who oversees everything going on, and not only does he oversee it, we know because of what he said in his word, he's made it very clear that he would go to any extent to save you from your own selfishness and sin. In fact, would do so by going to the cross. There's no greater statement of love that he could make for you. You know, someone might die for a friend, right? It says in the word of God. But for someone to die for an enemy, that's real love. Because that's not emotional love. That's an unconditional, I'm going to love you out of the resources in my own heart. And so one of the things he says about praying continually is this idea. It's not that you're praying and you're with your eyes closed and you're walking along bumping into people. You know, we think of praying so often about, you know, okay, I better find a spot and just go like this. He, he's saying praying continually. It's not driving in your car, heaven forbid, closing your eyes. It means walking through your life and, and opening your heart to the fact that there's a God who is in control, who loves you, and he's at work in your life. And even though things don't feel right, and even things aren't going right, and even though you've just had hard news here or this news here, you don't need to fear, you don't need to move to anger, you don't need to react. You can actually pray and talk to God and recognize the fact that he is with you like he's walking with you. Can you imagine if he was actually walking with you throughout your day? He's basically saying, walk with Jesus throughout your day. And so when you come to these places, you begin to talk to him. Because when you talk to him about something, you realize, yes, he's in control. He loves me. And he's at work. Even though I don't see how he's working, I'm going to trust the fact he's at work. And I'm going to choose joy always. And I think what's interesting is, is I was thinking about this. And I thought, just think for a second. How, much of your, um, how many of you talk to yourself Okay, here's the truth. You all do. If I was to give you scientific studies, it's amazing how much you talk to yourself. What if you talk to God? 
Most of the talking to ourselves isn't really good. Now, there's times you can talk to yourself and, and pull yourself out of something, but what if you really talk to God? And you just humbled yourself, and you know, I, I really don't have control of this, God. But I do have control of how I'm going to react to this. I do have control. This person really makes me angry, and I want to move to this place, but you know, I don't need to. Now, there is a place for anger to help, you know, in a positive uh, way to remove something, but so much of our anger isn't really good anger, right? It's all about, I didn't get my way, or they're making my way hard to get to, or whatever it might be, and he just says, pray continually. Kay Warren, in, in her book, she's, it's titled Choose Joy. I don't have the, um, the uh, I don't remember the rest of the subtitle, but it's Choose Joy, and she defines joy this way. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. So instead of complaining to yourself, what if you were to start saying, God, I praise you. I know you're in control. It doesn't look like it, but you know, I know you're always at work for a good. And a, a verse you might want to just hang on to is Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And just say that again, you know, God, I know you're in control. I know you love me. You made that really clear. And I know that you're at work. But I think a lot of us, and I've shared this before, but I I think a lot of us live what I call the kind of happy meal life, right? You know what I mean? Because there's a problem with, uh, like, McDonald's Happy Meals. Uh, The problem is they don't last. Um, Happiness doesn't last either. So here's kind of what I mean. How many have gone to McDonald's and ordered a Happy Meal that has truly satisfied your child? Okay. Listen to this. How many of you have found that this Happy Meal has brought long-term happiness to your child? Okay. How often do you turn to your child after they've had their Happy Meal, or maybe it's three weeks later, and you go, do you remember? I bought you a Happy Meal about two, three weeks ago. Why aren't you happy? That sounds foolish, right? I think sometimes God says, the circumstances were just going great in your life the last week, and now they're going, what's going on? See, anybody um, who buys a Happy Meal will know that even, just think about it, how many kids are even happy one hour after the Happy Meal? The initial happiness of the Happy Meal wears off because as McDonald's well knows, they want you and your kids to get another happiness fix. And soon you'll need something else to make you happy. And here's the reason why it doesn't work. Happiness is based on what you've heard before, happenings. And a child is happy because they got what they wanted or she's happy because she got the prize she hoped for. And as soon as the happy happening fades away, which it will, there's no happiness. And and here's the reality. We all tend to be Happy Meal kind of people, and we laugh at our kids, but here's the reality. We look so often for external happiness to make us internally 
happy or joyful. And the reality is that God, his purpose in our life is to produce in us a character of joy. And the character of joy, catch this, the character of joy is not your relationship to your circumstances or even your immediate feelings. The character of joy is always in relationship to the one who is in control, who works for your good and loves you. There's a different relationship. You go, you know what? My first relationship isn't to you, circumstances. Thank you very much. It's rooted in God. Joy is your relationship to a person, Jesus, and not to your current circumstances. It's in your relationship with a sovereign and loving God and not with things going your way. Otherwise, you are no more than a happy meal kind of person. And so what he says is be joyful always, choose joy, because you have the ability to walk and talk with a God who is sovereign and control and loves you and is at work right now in your circumstances because he promises that through even this, he will create good for those who love him. And so here's a practical tip. You might want to begin to start just tying a few, you know, the string around your finger and remember, you know, today, instead of talking so much to myself, I'm going to start talking to you, God. I'm going to start talking to you and humble myself and recognize who you are in my life and that my happiness is in relationship to you and not to the things around me. So remember, look at the string and say it with me. Let's say it together. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And now for the last part, give thanks in every circumstance. Here's one thing I think is very important to remember with regard to this idea of giving thanks. Thanks releases joy, okay? If you choose joy and you initiate joy through a choice, you then walk with, in a sense, through maintaining some of that joy is walking with a God who's in control, who loves you and is at work in your life. And the way you actually increase by releasing joy is through gratefulness. And there's four words that we've talked about before. We, and some of you say it to me still to this day. I shared this like back in 2012. Um, There's four words that in your life you can always say, it could be worse, right? Think about it. You look at, I mean, part of gratefulness, giving thanks is a commitment to look at what you have no matter what's going on. You can have joy because there's always something to be thankful for. So just stop for a second right now and just take these, go like this with your three fingers. This is a member audience participation. We're going to do a little bit more. And, and I just want you to go, okay, one, think of something you're thankful for, two, and three. Now, if you're having trouble doing it that quick, I'm concerned. Because if you're breathing, that could even be one. If you're sitting next to someone or you have someone that loves you, that could be two, right? And the fact that the weather's a little warmer could possibly, I mean, it's really, I'm, that's just a couple things. How many have a home that you go home to? Nobody here? Oh, my word. This is scary. Every morning, you can actually do this. One of the things that I do when I journal, so now I'm journaling a little bit more when I do this preview, review, and then I do some journaling, and then I I pray. But one of the things I do is I do that. I just, I I start out and I go, "Um, today is the day you've made, Lord Jesus, and I do the first starter of joy, and then I go right next to and I start listing things of thanks that I can be thankful for for that night or day before. 
And it's amazing to me. Then I start reading God's word, and then I start writing about God's word, and then I just come out of it, and I'm going, ready to go. So here, I want you to catch this. One really quick route to complaining happens because we tend to look at what we don't have rather than what we do have. Ungrateful people focus on what they don't have and on what they wish they had. Grateful people look at what they have. They have joy because there is always something to be thankful for. And thanksgiving and joy are like two sides of the coin. Thanksgiving always releases joy. The ungrateful, joy-robbing spirit is contagious. Understand that. In your family, it's contagious. It infects others at work. It infects people we go to school with or in sports teams you run. We lose joy in our sense of joy because we become ungrateful for the very things we have around us. And I think God sometimes goes... Man, get out of the Happy Meal life. So as speaker and author John Ortberg says these things, he says, sometimes we need to look at our lives and say four words. And I want you to read a poem with me. It could be worse. Okay, this will be a helpful thing. It could be worse. So say it with me. It could, with much more passion and joy. Okay, ready? It could be worse. Great. Now as you walk out and put your key in your car, in the parking lot here, you'll look at the car next to you and you'll be tempted to think, if only I had that car. But practicing being thankful with a thankful spirit, you will look at your car and say these little four words. Yeah, a little better than that. Okay. And when you get home, you pull in your driveway and you look at your house and you may be tempted to think, if I just had a bigger, nicer, newer house, but you will look at your house and repeat again these four words. And then in the morning when you take a shower and you step out and look at the mirror, (laughs) you'll be tempted to think if I had a different body, if I were younger, if I was slimmer, if I were trimmer, more muscular, then I would be happy, right? But no, 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 no. Next time you will say with great gusto these four little words. Right. And then when you go to bed at night and when you wake up in the morning and you roll over and you look at your spouse, you will say... You don't want to do that. (laughs) Not a good idea. Here's a practical tip. Don't do that. (laughs) You get the point. Be grateful. Right? And here's the tip. This is really one, and I'm not giving you a lot on this one because I think it's pretty simple. Truly, take time, whether it's in the morning or at some point, and just write down the things you're thankful for. Because Thanksgiving releases joy. There's a man named Erasmus who wrote in the 1500s, he had this little saying, he said this, and it's really kind of a, uh, I think, very accurate saying. Because in those days when you pounded in a nail, they didn't have all kinds of equipment to get the nail out. He says, a nail driven out by another, a nail is driven out by another nail. That's how they'd get the nail out. Habit is driven out by another habit. Right? So in order to drive out this culture of complaint, we must begin to drive in a culture of joy and prayer and thanksgiving. So let's say it together. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Choose joy, and joy will become a habit fully hardwired into your being and character. Pray mindfully throughout the day and you'll be reminded that God is in control and he's at work. 
And guess what? You'll actually find yourself knowing that, that you'll begin to smile and laugh. You know why kids are so joyful? Because they don't worry about the fact that there's someone taking, someone's taking care of them. The kids who are, you, you see that really are in difficult situations, they're just, their life is confusing and chaotic. So we have a God who is caring for us. As Proverbs says in 15.15, I love this, every day a terrible day, every day is a terrible day for a miserable person. But a cheerful heart has a continual feast. And finally, give thanks in everything, for everything, and through everything, and your joy will increase. Joy will be released because thanksgiving releases joy. And I just encourage you to practice those practical tips. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask for the team to come up. And as you stand, we're going to say this with gusto one more time, these verses. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's stay our mind on that, you guys.